Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're here for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We've saved your stool for you. We've got good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives. And the crazy one is crazy creepy, crazy, outrageous. And we're going to get to that in due time. But Jim, let's start uh, where we like to start. And that's with the good news. And while the Democrats tried to scramble up 50 votes in the Senate, plus Kamala Harris to foist at least three and a half trillion, most say five trillion or more uh, dollars in new spending on the American people, turns out the trillions of dollars they've already spent aren't getting them the... uh, glowing support that they were already hoping for. Because, of course, earlier this year, on a strictly party-line vote, they passed the $2 trillion uh, quote-unquote COVID relief bill that didn't have a ton of COVID relief in it. But what's even worse for the Democrats, and makes it a good martini, is that the American people, even though they got uh, a lot of checks out of that legislation, they don't really thank the Democrats for that. Uh, Politico. Uh, when they took power this past winter, Democrats made a commitment to not repeat what many viewed as a critical misstep of the Obama years. The legislation they passed would do two things. Make sure that the benefits were front-loaded and that the impact was tangible. The result was a COVID relief package that included direct payments of up to $1,400 to most Americans, $300 per week in unemployment insurance, supplements, and an expansion of the child tax credit for a year. Nine months later, whatever political benefits were supposed to accrue from that package have seemingly faded. The public support for the direct payments has been overtaken by its concerns about the lingering pandemic. The federal employment insurance benefits ended in September with no apparent appetite by the feds or state governments to extend them. And while Democrats are seeking to extend the expanded child tax credit past its expiration date this December, recent polling data suggests they are getting little credit for it. Those numbers are causing some heartburn up on Capitol Hill, where there is growing concern that in a rush to continue legislative momentum around infrastructure and this other $3.5 trillion boondoggle, uh, the party has failed to hammer home the benefits of their first big bill. So, uh, Jim, of course, uh, the problem, uh, as always, with any Democratic legislative priority is, is not that the legislation stinks, it's that it just hasn't been explained well enough. And so uh, that's uh, the grousing up on Capitol Hill. But uh, look, if you're not going to get any political benefit out of it, hopefully that uh, slows even more the momentum towards what they're trying to get past right now. I think that's right, Greg. And I think there's three factors at work here that, you know, those of us who've been watching the political process for a long time may not be quite so stunned as your average Democratic congressman or campaign consultant. Uh, but the first factor is, what have you done for me lately? Right. That like people have short memories, particularly when it comes to good news And particularly if they feel like other bad news has replaced that, which kind of is a bit more, I'll get it to my third point. Um, You know, if you say, oh, how about that legislation we passed back in January, February? Doesn't that make you feel good? People might be, eh, it's it's October. Uh, They're not going to be feeling, oh, that this was this life-changing, you know, spectacular thing that government had done for them. So they they really shouldn't be that. The second thing is that what happens in Washington matters a lot more to Washington than it does to the rest of the country. And people may get checks in the mail. They may remember that, oh, this is from the U.S. Treasury. They may not. Uh, they may go out and spend it real fast. And it may not, you know, the effect on their, uh, their, their actual household income may feel pretty, you know, quickly passing or, or not really that lasting. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, these things that seem like a really big deal to people in the legislative process 
you're kind of stunned, you know, because the record cite the poll about how few Americans can name all three branches of government, right? Like the idea that they're following this legislation and they oh, goodness, I have gotten part of the American Recovery Act, but you know, it just isn't. People don't think that way. And it's just not the sort of thing that they're going to dwell on or spend a lot of time thinking about. So, I mean, you really probably should not go into the legislative process or run for Congress if you want to be constantly encountering gratitude. Um, where you could argue we're a more we're a, we're a nation of ingrates in a whole bunch of ways. We don't appreciate what we've inherited from our forefathers. Uh, but I also think that Americans just don't spend a lot of time thinking about Congress. So the idea of how do you feel about Congress? Oh, they sent you that check back in February. It's just not going to be uh, central to their thinking. And the third thing is maybe people got the checks. People like I'm sure like you know your poll people. Do you like this free money from the government? Sure. And they probably think that it's, you know, Lesko, that guy who used to dress up like the, like the Riddler <laughs> and uh, yell on the television that you can get free money from the government. I, I begin today's morning jolt just kind of looking over the state of the economy, particularly focused on supply chain issues. Um, some really great stories in, in big publications like the New York Times and Wall Street Journal. Uh, New York Times had a fascinating piece talking to the port of Savannah managers and observing that they've got cargo ships sitting 17 miles offshore waiting nine days to unload their stuff because there's such a huge backlog and they can't find enough guys to to upload it and people aren't picking up their uh containers on time and all that stuff uh this quote just jumped out at me at the wall street journal last weekend it's an international shipping consultant who said look if it wasn't on the water four weeks ago it's not going to be here by christmas it's like beginning of September is what it was going to take because of the backlogs and delays and stuff like that. That's, you know, a whole bunch of people going to be looking for Christmas presents this uh, after Thanksgiving, this December and not going to be able to find them. And there's just, you know, the shelves are going to be empty. Um, Country has 10.9 million unfilled jobs, which is yet another record. Workforce participation rate is not good, which we talked about a few podcasts ago. Gas prices are skyrocketing as I'm sure every listener is listening in their car noticed. Uh, grocery prices are skyrocketing. CNN said America's economic recovery has hit a roadblock. Well, Americans would be a lot more focused on all that than, oh, you know, the government sent you a check back in February. Isn't that great? You know, again, even if people did like it, I suspect they just don't feel it. They just don't feel like the government has done much to help them. And even though Biden would say, oh, it's terrific. I'm in charge. And oh, we don't have Trump anymore. Like people feel it when they, you know, are paying an extra 20 bucks when they try to fill up their, their, uh, their gas tank and people feel it when their grocery bills a hundred bucks higher than it was a year ago. So whatever good Democrats think they've done, people aren't feeling it because there are other big, you know, pressing problems that most Democrats insist aren't really problems or will work themselves out or, ah, it's just a routine pandemic related supply issue. It's not, it's not inflation. Don't worry. Don't believe your lying eyes. No, that's exactly right. And uh, Biden, of course, uh, came out on Friday when the job numbers came out and started whizzing on our leg and tried to explain that it's raining. Because if you remember the projections heading into Friday, we were supposed to get half a million new jobs and the unemployment rate was supposed to tick down from 5.2 to 5.1 percent. We got 194,000 new jobs, obviously way less than expected. And uh, the unemployment rate fell from 5.2 to 4.8. So he tried to claim that it's because of the strong economy that the unemployment rate uh, fell that far instead of people dropping out of, of the workforce. But it, it strikes me as, um, I mean, I'm not going to try and correct him because I think it's stupid, but 
his argument used to be, we've got to have this uh, incredibly expensive legislation to get the economy kickstarted. And instead, his argument after dismal job numbers is, uh, look how great we're doing. So, I mean, hopefully that's, uh, you know, he's sabotaging his own uh, argument for for supposedly needing this massively expensive legislation that will create a bunch of programs we hate, too. So not only are his constituents not appreciating it, he's not even responding to the uh, sluggish economy right now in the right way. So that's Rick, I know it'll never happen, but, you know, imagine some president or elected official saying, you know, we passed the I guess the closest you could get to is Obama saying shovel ready jobs weren't really shovel ready. But just imagine something like, yeah, we really thought that was going to work and it didn't. And we, we lost it up. You know, the opposition would jump on it and would show up and attack ads. But what do people kind of just respect the honesty and say, yeah, you know, we thought this was going to stimulate the economy a lot more than it did. Man. Honesty. I don't know what the public would, would do with that if we actually got some honesty like that. But, uh, you know, just release a statement when it sucks. <laughs> you don't have to go out in front of the cameras and make up a completely bogus argument. But uh, anyway, he did. And I think that still redounds to our benefit. But anyway, let's talk about money because <laughs> uh, you're going to need some. You're going to need more of it uh, because of this rising inflation, which is uh, exceeding uh, wage growth right now. But if you are still trying to pay off student loans, uh, it, you're kind of running out of time, perhaps, to uh, refinance these things in a way that's advantageous to you because interest rates are starting to tick up. We're seeing that with mortgage rates and uh, regular interest rates uh, might not be far behind. So with today's low interest rates, it's a really good time to refinance your student loans. It's time to break out of that student debt cycle and earnest can help. Times are tough, but you know, worrying about those student loan payments doesn't make things any easier. So say goodbye to stressful student loan payments and take charge of your future with Earnest. Earnest offers low-rate student loan refinancing, and you can check your rate risk-free in just two minutes. With Earnest, you get radically flexible payments and you can pick your loan term. By refinancing, you can reduce your loan term, save money, or combine multiple loans to a simple monthly payment. And if you have questions, you can even talk to a real live human being at Earnest for help. Now, isn't it time you stopped feeling overwhelmed by your student debt? Now is a great time. Ernest is offering Three Martini Lunch listeners a $100 cash bonus. So you can refinance your student debt at earnest.com slash martini. Terms and conditions do apply, but Ernest, again, is giving Three Martini Lunch listeners a $100 bonus. Refinance your student loans at earnest.com slash martini. Terms and conditions apply as does this legal information. Earnest Student Loan Refinancing made by Earnest Operations, LLC, NMLS number 1204917, California Financing Law, license number 6054788, 535 Mission Street, San Francisco, California, 94105. Visit earnest.com slash licenses for a full list of licenses. All right, Jim, let's move on to our bad martini now. And for those who have not read Jim's Monday edition of the Morning Jolt. I highly encourage you to do it. And it's basically looking at whether China's already kind of lapped us in in terms of uh, positioning itself to be the dominant power in the world, certainly in the near future, if they haven't uh, eclipsed us already uh, right now. And a new uh, story from the Business Insider uh, gives us evidence in one critical area that should make all of us shudder. A senior cybersecurity official at the Pentagon said he quit because he thought it was impossible for the United States to compete with China on AI, meaning artificial intelligence. Nicholas Chalen, I don't know if that's exactly how you pronounce that last name, but he joined the U.S. Air Force as its first chief software officer in August of 2018. 
He worked to equip it and the Pentagon with the most secure and advanced software available. But he quit on September 2nd. In his departing LinkedIn post, he cited the Pentagon's reluctance to make cybersecurity and AI a priority as a reason for his resignation. Speaking to the Financial Times in his first interview, Chalin said China was far ahead of the U.S. Quote, we have no competing fighting chance against China in 15 to 20 years. Right now, it's already a done deal. It's already over, in my opinion. He went on to say that the AI capabilities and cyber defenses of some government departments were at a kindergarten level, according to the quote from the Financial Times. And uh, Jim, um, talk about China being way ahead where it matters. We're pretty confident, obviously, they were uh, directly involved in the OPM hack back in the Obama administration. They're highly aggressive. Uh, They're focused, uh, it seems, on the areas that are most significant in waging war on, on every different level. And we seem to be focused on other things. If you listen to this podcast a lot, I don't need to run through all the areas where it really looks like China, the you know, government in Beijing is being much more aggressive and the Biden administration is really flailing for a response. And you can point to a lot of areas where it did not appear like the Trump administration has a particularly effective response. Taiwan, Hong Kong, the pandemic and the trail leading back to Wuhan and the origin of the pandemic, trade, I guess, certainly Trump talked about trade a lot. Uh, the mistreatment of the Uyghurs and genocide, uh, U.S. institutions that censor criticism of China. You know, there's there's a long list. And Biden was going to you know, offer this this much tougher approach. And I think it's safe to say that we're still really looking for an effective approach at hemming in Beijing and, and you know, uh, deterring further aggression from them. Hasn't hasn't kicked in yet. As for Chalian and his argument, I suppose you could say some of this is, you know, nobody listened to me. Nobody gave me the budget I thought we needed. Nobody prioritized what I was talking about. There may be a little bit of kind of self-selection bias that Nicholas Chalian is the guy who's going to be most concerned about the Pentagon's application of advanced technologies, and whether China is ahead of us. On the other hand, he's probably the guy who knows the most about it or knows a heck of a lot about it. And he doesn't seem like the kind of guy you can just hand wave this away. And he's, you know, both in his farewell message, he posted to LinkedIn and this interview with the Financial Times. From his perspective, this is, this is almost a done deal. They are so far ahead artificial intelligence, synthetic biology, genetics. You know, like, I don't know, it could be like genetically altering a virus or something, right? You know, imagine, imagine what would happen if they did something like that. But, um, you know, it's scary stuff. And there are a lot of things that are frustrating about the state of the country right now. I laid out all the problems in the economy and stuff like that. But like, you know, we're arguing about pronouns and, and just like stupid stuff on any, given day, on any given day when a regime that is fundamentally aggressive and expansionist and wants to be a regional power and that kind of you look at, you know, Chinese history in their minds, they're like the world's greatest empire that just stumbled in the late 1800s. And they were meant to be the leaders of the world and the leaders of humanity. And they just had this really awful string of bad luck. But now they're back on the right path. And because of their population, because of their economic strength, because of their rapidly building military strength, they think they're on their way to being number one. And if you don't think the world's going to change dramatically when China is the most powerful nation on Earth, than what has it been when the United States has been the most powerful nation on Earth? You know, we can barely get our heads around the ramifications of that, not just around the Pacific Rim, but my suspicion is pretty much every corner of the globe. And he just kind of lays out that, like, you know, everything from media narrative to geopolitics, like China will start calling the shots. This is really frightening stuff. And it's the sort of thing that, like, 
should not be a minor page A12 of the newspaper kind of story. If we were a more serious country, we'd be grappling with that. But I suspect if we were a more serious country, Greg, we wouldn't be facing this problem in the first place. No, that's exactly right. And like you said, this problem didn't start in January of this year. So previous administrations certainly bear responsibility for this as well. But when you see what the current leadership is uh, focused on, white rage and so forth, and uh, what it actually was able to uh, accomplish... Uh, that's probably the wrong word, in Afghanistan, uh, how it performed in Afghanistan, how it's looking weak and indecisive in other areas around the world. I mean, it goes back to the old office space question, right, Jim? I mean, what is it that should say you do here? Coupled with the fact of like, it feels like both the administration and the Pentagon, and we're used to this, uh, John Andrasik has this very good point where he kind of says like, look, we're used to this from politicians. We're, we're used to them not being honest. We're used to them spinning us and stuff like that. But a, a bigger and more serious issue is like we were used to the military being the one that gives it to us straight, that is willing to communicate hard truths, that is, uh, you know, that, that won't try to spin us. And it really feels like quickly recently there's been this effort to create the perception of victory rather than achieve an actual victory and hope nobody tells the difference. Yeah. I mean, every whistleblower, you have to give it a grain of salt, but... Man, it's not hard to believe this at all, and I don't see any pushback. You don't see anybody jumping out and saying, no, the Pentagon's <laughs> IT is fantastic. We're completely unhackable. Oh, man. Uh, just fair warning, our crazy martini is going to have some uh, very sensitive content. So if you have uh, children with you, you might want to hit pause. But before you do that, you might want to just get them comfortable in their own room with uh, products from my pillow. Uh, the pillows, the, the towels, the slippers, the mattress topper, all very high quality products. But uh, today we're focusing on the amazing Giza Dream Sheets. There's nothing better than slipping into bed with soft, comfortable sheets after a very long day. And for a limited time, Three Martini Lunch listeners can buy one set of Giza Dream Sheets and then get another set free uh, when you head to MyPillow.com and use our promo code MARTINI. Imagine sliding into the most comfortable sheets you will ever own, guaranteed. They're made from the world's best cotton and grown only in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. The sheet's long staple cotton makes them ultra soft and breathable. They're available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee as well as a one-year limited warranty. And now for a limited time, you can buy one and get one free on all Giza Dream Sheets. Just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener's square, and use the promo code MARTINI at checkout. Or call 800-874-0104 and find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, the MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. Don't miss the sale of the year. That's MyPillow.com, promo code MARTINI. Or call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com. All right, I was not kidding about the content of the Crazy Martini, so if you need to hit pause, give you a couple of seconds here to uh, hit pause and come back to uh, us later. Otherwise, uh, we're about to, to roll on this. You, you know, last week, Jim, or maybe it's the week before that, we talked about how Attorney General Merrick Garland has now dispatched the FBI to work with local officials uh, to dig into threats against school board members, because this is the real problem, not what school boards are trying to perpetrate on parents in terms of critical race theory and uh, gender policy and uh, pronouns and masks and, and everything else. And so the poster child for the need to do this 
was a guy named Scott Smith, a parent at a Loudoun County, Virginia school board meeting, who on uh, June 22nd ended up getting into a shouting match with another parent uh, and then was uh, taken to the ground by the police and uh, and hauled out of the room uh, while he was hollering. And of course, it became, this is what these unhinged parents are doing. Uh, they're, they're completely overreacting and uh, these people should not be taken seriously. Well, kudos to the Daily Wire for actually finding out what happened here. The reason Scott Smith was uh, more than slightly upset on June 22nd is because of something that happened on May 28th. His freshman daughter was in the bathroom when a boy, who apparently identified as a girl and allegedly was wearing a skirt, entered the girl's bathroom at Stonebridge High School, where he sexually assaulted the ninth grade girl. Juvenile records are sealed, but Scott's attorney told the Daily Wire that a boy was charged with two counts of forcible sodomy, one count of anal sodomy, and one count of forcible fellatio related to an incident that day at the school. But the story gets worse. Uh, Scott Smith was summoned to the school because of this quote-unquote incident, but was told by the school officials, Jim, that uh, they were going to handle it in-house. Well, he didn't like that very much, so ultimately he raised enough of a stink that they called the cops on him which ended up actually being a good thing because he told the cops his story. They got the girl to the hospital. They did the rape tests and found out that she was absolutely telling the truth. And therefore, uh, these charges are going forth. So he was coming to the uh, the school board meeting to talk about the, uh, the transgender policy. And uh, a person who's affiliated with the anti-racist parents of Loudoun Facebook group uh, got in his face. Uh, they got into an argument. One of the officers was at the meeting, grabbed his arm uh, in his emotional state. He swatted away the officer's arm. And that's when they took him to the ground, handcuffed him. Somehow his pants ended up around his ankles and so forth. And so he's made to look like the insane person. Meanwhile, the board of Loudoun County Schools was saying there's never been an incident uh, in terms of uh, moving forward with the transgender bathroom policy and the pronoun policy and everything else. And he was there to tell his story, but because he got shouted down and eventually hauled out of there, he never got to do that, and the policies are now in place. And so, uh, Jim, very different story than what we were led to believe by the mainstream media. They wanted to stifle his story. They did it. It's because they want to push this narrative. If this assault had been perpetrated, allegedly, by a person who identified as a straight male, you bet your bottom dollar that person would have been arrested and hauled off for potential prosecution right away. But because they're advancing this agenda and they're trying to push this policy, they have to make the case or make the argument that nothing bad could ever possibly happen. And so they had to bury this very serious crime. Indeed, Greg, one of my first, you know, snarky reactions was, wait, I've been assured this never happens. I've been assured this is unthinkable. I've been assured that everyone who identifies as the other gender and chooses upon every, you know, person who was born with a man with male genitalia who goes into a woman's uh, bathroom or locker room has only the most noble and, and pure intentions. And no one could ever abuse this policy to, uh, to get their own sense of cheap thrills or something like that. Well, in this case, it looks like it happened. You know, it's still, still waiting to hear the, the court trial. But certainly there was enough evidence there for an arrest and certainly suggests that this reaction to this father, I mean, Greg, you hear stories like this. We're both fathers. I'm sure a lot of parents are listening to this, this podcast. I'm kind of surprised society is not full of out and out bloody murders committed by parents upon the abusers of their children. 
Um, we don't necessarily want to live in that kind of society. We have a system of justice. We know false accusations can occur. But everyone has a thought going through their, their mind of, oh, my God, if it was my child, no one could stop me. I, I, would, you know, I would take whatever consequences. I wouldn't care. You don't touch my child and get away with it. You don't escape the consequences. I am the consequences. And that's what's going through this guy's mind. And of course he, you know, flipped out. Of course he reacted, you know, with, with overwhelming emotions. Now here's the, you know, is there a lesson here? Yeah, you, you shouldn't swat away a cop. It's not good. Cop doesn't know the whole story. As far as he knows, you're just this guy full of rage. But having said that, now that we know this backstory, we all understand exactly why he's full of rage. And it really does look like this county school board didn't look, this didn't fit the narrative. The narrative was that, you know, young transsexual students were always good people. No one could ever abuse this policy. And anybody who opposed this policy was just hopelessly transphobic and old fashioned and just couldn't understand modern values and modern sexuality and all that kind of stuff. Well, actually, no, nope. At least in this particular case, the skeptics were right. Somebody saw an opportunity in this policy. Somebody, somebody was a male, saw an opportunity to go into a woman's, a girl's bathroom and do something terrible. And we'll see how this trial shakes out. But in this case, not only does his father deserve an apology, not just from the school board, but from everybody who used him as the poster boy for these crazy out of control parents. And the second thing is, is like, if you're, if you're, if your reaction to this is, oh, the parent must be bad, like say Terry McAuliffe. I don't want, I don't want parents coming in and teaching school, tell schools what they can teach like this. It's gotta be a partnership. And this, you know, further confirms that school boards have just been captured by ideologues who are so wedded to a narrative that they cannot let actual sexual assault be acknowledged because it muddies the waters and it suggests that it may not be a simple story of good people and bad people, which is all the little minds can handle, Greg. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to think <laughs> I would let the justice system do what it's supposed to do in that situation. But uh, the instinct it's a combination of uh, Liam Neeson and Taken with the light switch and Darth Vader at the end of Rogue One. Take your pick. I was like Jack Bauer in the limo. <laughs> this is how the Russians get information out of people, pal. They just use the towel. Anyway, carry on. Exactly right. Uh, come to think of it, the whole movie Taken and his response to that would pretty much be the uh, what would be going through my head. But uh, for them to not even acknowledge this and to bury it. Just shows how, yeah, I mean, you, you put it perfectly, but how uh, absurdly wedded they are to this agenda, whatever the facts may be. So very difficult story to end with, uh, Jim. Hopefully we have much happier things to talk about tomorrow, and I will see you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, please tell your friends about us as well. Also, uh, thank you very much for your very kind reviews and your five-star ratings. We are always very thankful for those. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday, and please join us on Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. There's so much going on in the news, but don't worry, because we're here to talk about all the things. Politicians are still fighting over the debt ceiling, even though it's our money. Greta Thunberg is still preaching to the world, and people freaked out over social media sites like Facebook and Instagram crashing for just a few hours this week. Hey, it's the Chicks from the Chicks on the Right podcast. Download and subscribe to our daily podcast to hear us pick apart and pick on the news of the day. Politics to pop culture. Nobody's safe, but it's all fun. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Yes.